What's going on, everybody? Hope Tep to the family. Welcome back to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective here on the Mighty Motivation Network, where we give our point of view of controversial topics from experience, history, knowledge as African Americans here in America. I'm joined by my co-host, Jerome Battle. How are you, sir? What's up? Hey, so... Thank everybody for the feedback they've been giving us on the past few episodes. Even had a few comments where people were uh, starting to interact. Um, that's exactly what we're looking for. And as right. we're here to spark thought, we're here to spark um, conversation so things can go, um, so things can be, begin to change. And it, and it starts in the mind and in conversations. So as we go forward to today, I want everybody to to start looking at the uh, the trial of, of, of Officer Derek uh, Chauvin trial. Make sure, especially African-Americans, we are paying attention to this trial so we can see not just what happens in the end, but the process of how things happen. So if things don't go into our favor, we can go back and look at the the crew, the, um, the loopholes in the justice system. And that's actually what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about the justice system and, and some key cases on um, that that shows the divide in African Americans. That's, that's what I think that's what I want to do. Yeah, uh, that's great. Um, also, continue to follow the voter suppression bills that are that are being passed. Uh, there's been 47 bills introduced related to voter registration in different states. So make sure that you are beginning to pay attention to those voter suppression bills to try to figure out what you need to do to still register to vote and continue to have your vote accounted for. Um, this episode is sponsored by Jay's Body Works. Uh, does your body, uh, does the body of your car need repair, restoration, or paint? For all of your auto body needs, visit Jay's Body Works in Bedford, Virginia, and you can reach him at 434-665-9422. Again, that's Jay's Body Works here in Bedford, Virginia. Excellent work. He does excellent work. Absolutely. Um, So today we're going to be talking about the Black Panther Party, the the good and the bad. Um, And the ugly. And the ugly. So we wanted to discuss this because there are some things about the Black Panthers that were are very crucial. And there are some things that we want to avoid moving forward as organizations beginning to um to 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 be created and as uh African American awareness is beginning to grow consciously in the African American community. There are, there are some things in the Black Panther Party that we can use. And there's some things in the Black Panther Party that we never want to uh, use ever again. Absolutely. So we're going to get into that. Um, so when discussing the Black Panthers, y'all know me. I've had a few jokes to say we should change the name of the podcast to um, a chronology of things <laughs> because y'all know me. I, I have you to talk give about chronology. Uh, you have to, in it's order important. to talk about certain things, you have to know the, the background. You have to know the backstory of what led to certain things. So when you look at the Black Panther Party, uh, there, um, I call it the spirit of, of Malcolm and a lot of the spirit of Mark. Of Mark. Oh, oh, absolutely. So when you look at the Black Panther Party, we have to understand that um, Malcolm X is assassinated. And then you start to really see African-Americans really take on what he was um, what he was attempting to accomplish with this new um, new, new organization. 
So a lot of the leaders were influenced by Dr. King, though, because when we look at the West Coast, L.A., Oakland, and specifically, most of these people come from the South as well. This is why we talked about the Great Migration so much, because in order to understand what's going on in, in the West, it starts in the South, because so many people moved out West. So they understood what Dr. King was saying. They've come from their place. They come from Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. That's right. So when they were in California, they began to see things um, a little bit different. a little bit differently because uh, they still seen the racism, and but it was more of a organized racism when you seen police brutality and those things. So they actually seen the things that Dr. King was talking about, but they understood what Malcolm was saying as well. So you seen kind of in the middle of of, of both of those amazing uh, leaders. Um, Absolutely, what happened because you, you had the first mic. The first great migration was. Moving from the, the south, south to the, to the north. north, right, and the second great migration was moving from the south to the west, right, and and as you said, the the ones coming from the south were under the leadership and the understanding of Doctor Martin Luther King, right. So the nonviolent approach mm-hmm. is what they were used to, and they also were used to a lot of the crimes being committed, the injustices, the inequality being being dished out to Black Americans were probably done by other white citizens, not necessarily law enforcement. Um, even though it happened, a lot of what these blacks that were migrating out west saw was on an individual basis, and it was being done by white civilians, not necessarily law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And as they moved out west, as you said, more organized. Right Now you had police orchestrating the assault the injustices, mm-hmm. um, the unfairness, the inequality on Black Americans. Right, and then when you when you begin to look at, um, especially in the South, when you look at the South real quick, you're looking at sheriffs and deputies. When you go to Los Angeles, you're looking at the LAPD. You're police looking at, forces. You're looking at police forces, prosecutors. So, right, so you're looking at a totally different type of ideals that that begins to happen, um, and. Again, they're influenced by also the um, militant self-defense group um, created by Robert Williams, which was um, Negroes with Guns. That's right. And you're looking at the Deacons uh, for Defense um, and Justice in Louisiana, and they actually protected a lot of the civil rights marches. So the concept that they came up with wasn't new, but they took it and took it to a whole different level. So when we look at the chronology of things, you look at number one, Malcolm X is murdered or assassinated in 1965. Mm-hmm. The Black Panthers are founded in 1966. Dr. King is assassinated in 1968. So we begin to see already in a span of three years what begins to arise out of uh, Dr. King and Brother Malcolm. And let, let's talk about one particular event that happened in 1965 that sparked some of the the, the concepts of starting the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Watts Riot. The Watts Riot. The Watts Riot, where I think his name was Marquette Fry, mm-hmm. um, pulled over by police um, for reckless driving, and after allegedly failing a sobriety test, they tried to arrest him. Mm-hmm. And his moms uh, intervened, and they beat his mom and him in the streets right. of, uh, of Oakland mm-hmm. um, at that, or, or Watts at that particular time. And uh, that sparked the... the to even to today, 
one of the worst riots in United States history. Yeah. Um, over 34, 35 people were killed that day during the riots. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, a lot of the the beginning uh, members of the Black Panthers were aware of these, even were there doing yeah. some of the riots. So that sparked some of the conversations about how can we as black Americans defend ourselves against police brutality? Right. And then right there, you begin to see the shift because Dr. King actually went to Watts and tried to stop the riots and they weren't trying to hear that. Absolutely. So Absolutely. already you began to see a, see a shift. And, and when we go back one day, um, one episode, we'll look at Dr. King's change of philosophies as well. But um, moving forward with that, you begin to see different organizations starting from there. So you've seen a lot of small, um, smaller organizations started in which um, people were coming together trying to combat whatever was going on, especially in, in, in L.A. So Huey Newton and uh, Bobby Seale saw that a lot of these organizations weren't sincere. They, That's right. They went to a lot of these organizations in college and began to see that they were either, number one, not sincere, or number two, they were looking just to um, gain their own popularity. That's right. So one of the people that they actually are was a student organization that came out of Atlanta um, in which Stokely Carmichael was running, in which he actually took over for John Lewis. So in the South, in, in, in um, L.A., in Oakland in particular, these student services um, organizations is what um, Huey and Bobby was a part of. And one of the things that they was fighting for, as we've seen across the country, what a lot of students were fighting for was African-American studies. That's right. So they got to keep in mind that Huey and Bobby were students they were at students, a university. They were students That's at, right. at uh, Oakland Community College, I believe it was called. Um, and they began to fight for um, African-American studies. And Huey comes up with the concept of let's grab some some well let me, let me say this Huey begins to study that's right police laws and began to study um, court laws civil law civil law he began to study um, the the constitution and and rights and bills and all of these things and he comes up with the concept that we can carry guns out in the open so let's go carry guns. Out on outside of the campus, in front of the campus, and show the administration that we're serious. That's right. To either start this or it's going to be problems. That's right. Because obviously they 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 felt like uh, civil rights proved incapable of addressing certain conditions. Right. Inequality, unfairness, um, the police brutality, mm -hmm. and it didn't answer. One major question. How would black people in America win not only formal citizenship rights, but actually economic and political power? Right. And so they were trying to figure out how can we answer that question? Because civil rights, the civil rights movement did not answer that question. Right. So they, they took this idea to the students organization and they turned it down. So. Bobby and Huey and another one of their friends, they sat down and they began to think about how they can still do this. And they came up with the concept of the the Black Panther Party for self-defense. That's right. And again, we'll, we'll go back and fill in a lot of these holes. I'm just taking you through a chronology of it. And they, they start the group. And one of the main things that they do, they sit down and they try to figure out, you know, how to organize this group. They come up with a 10-point a, a system 
they begin to look at other countries and how they were doing it. Because if you look at Cuba, you look at China, they were doing something similar. There was actually 50 countries that gained their independence during that same time. That's right. So they began to look at all of those different countries to see how they were doing it. And again, socialism was a big part of the thing. But one of the main things that they wanted to do was control the police. Let's protect our community by controlling the people, the police. Anytime they pull somebody over, we'll get out, maintain a safe distance, have our guns unloaded, and make sure that the person that they're talking to or investigating or giving a ticket to is okay. That's right. So <clears throat> it's important that the, the way you named the Black Party in the beginning is, is, is actual. Right. The Black Panther Party of, of self-defense. self-defense. Yes. So again, they're taking on the same the spirit of Malcolm. We understand Malcolm was all about self-defense. So they're taking that spirit of Malcolm and they're operating within their community. And of course, the the Black Panther, the Panther represented, you know, um a ferocious animal. That's right. That whenever he wouldn't strike out in offense, he will wait until he's backed into a corner and, and then he, he was right in defense. And, and this idea comes from uh Stokely Carmichael. Stokely Carmichael had a um had his group and he had the Black Panther on there and he was the first person that really coined the term Black Power. Black, Black Power. So they took that and they kind of incorporated that into, into their organization. So they, again, they patrolled the police as we said earlier because they felt that police was the main perpetrators of violence within their community. That's right. So once they start this, recruitment actually becomes, it doesn't become easy, but the people that they are catering to, who they're trying to recruit, it kind of becomes easy because they were out, they, they looked at the groups that they were a part of and they said the only people that they're not reaching is poor black people. That's the right. people they're supposed to be speaking for. So you have all these intellectual people, but ain't nobody going to the, the hustlers, the drug dealers, the drug addicts, the people that uh, society write off and asking them right. what, what their opinion is and what should be done. So they began to recruit them. And what they did was tell them, you know, look, we got guns, we're going to go patrol the police. And of course, a lot of them thought they was crazy as hell. Absolutely. So, but <laughs> once they showed up and they started doing this, there were crowds of people around Washington was like, yo, these brothers got it going on. That's right. Like, and because at first when they were doing the police would get in the car, they wouldn't hand them a ticket out. They would just get the heck out of Dodge. So black people seen it as a sense of power. Sense of power. Their That's right. <clears throat> sense of power that at, at, at the start was very legal. Right, also, illegal. That, exactly, very, very legal. Right, so you can you can open carry a weapon in in the state of California at the time as long as it wasn't loaded. So that's right. they carried their guns, um, and it had it couldn't be concealed. And we're gonna get into a little bit about that later. But of course, they, they recruited a lot of people from the streets, a lot of young people. Right, we're, we're talking about people that are between the ages of 17, 20, 21 years old. Absolutely, and what they began to do, they began to create <coughs> programs. We're going to get into their programs a little bit later. Um, another important thing is they start teaching people about their rights. So whenever they would get out on these police patrols, Huey would pull out his, um, he called it his pocket, um, pocket right book. And he would begin to read the rights to the person that they, the police was talking to. So you tell them, look, you have a right to remain silent. You have the right to this. If they, right. if they, you have the right to ask them if you can leave, if their investigation is over with. You have a right to all They're not arresting you. Yeah. Am I free to go? So right. you had all of these, um, things that they were doing. So, um, a big key point that happens for the Black Panthers is 
they provided security for Malcolm X's uh, late for wife Shabazz. for Betty Shabazz. And when they provide security for Huey, he goes out of his way to push reporters and people out the way and pull out his gun. And that created more um, more prominence because they seen how serious these people were. Uh, so, um, And then another one thing that happened was they began to investigate police. So That's not right. only patrolling, they began to investigate, investigate police. So That's a right. murder happened of, uh, I think his name was Denzel Dowell. Yep. Um, and so he was murdered and it came to show that he would, they tried to say that he was murdered in the act of doing a felony. But when they start doing an investigation, they realized that wasn't right. So they began, they actually marched down to the, to the police station and demanded to see the, the, the chief of police because they was like, look, we got our own investigation. That's right. And what your police is saying is not right. And that created more, more black people started looking up like, yo, that's right. Brothers. But as it also put the Black Panthers on the radar of the black Americans, it also put them on the radar of the government. Right. And it put them on the direct radar of the FBI as part of the counterintelligence program. Yes. That actually labeled them as a black nationalist hate group, which later became what you call today as a terrorist group. Right. And we're going to get into that as well. And um, again, that that um, Denzel Dowell, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the first thing that is blasted on their own newspaper. This is important. That's right. So they have their own newspaper to give information out to the African-American community. The next thing that happens is after all of this happens, a guy named Donald Mumford, uh, a Republican in Oakland, you know, he calls up to a radio station and said, look, I'm introducing the law, a bill that's going to be passed to say that they can no longer carry weapons and point it at police. That's right. And um, the Black Panthers decide to go to Sacramento to the Capitol building to begin to protest this situation. And, of course, they didn't allow Huey to go. Bobby Seal goes and a few other Panthers go. And, of course, they go, and while they go, Ronald Reagan is there actually talking to the press. That's right. Who, who is the governor of California? The governor of California. And he's talking to the press, and you see all of these Black Panthers with guns, with guns um, to the Capitol building. And uh, they're actually arrested, not because they carry guns on the Capitol building. They are arrested because they didn't unload the ammo before they got back into the car. Which was an actual against the law. And right. Huey knew this if Huey would, would have been there. Huey was very on point about understanding the law when you carry your weapon. So they actually, um, they actually go to jail after that because they, that's the one thing that they forgot to do was that's unload right. the ammo before they get into the car. And then in 1967, that bill actually gets passed. So what they were doing with patrolling the police, could no longer be done the way that they were doing it. Can't carry weapons. Right. Can't and, and, openly carry weapons. Right. And it just shows the contradiction, even if we look in 2021, right. how the Second Amendment is being uh, so championed, but whenever you see black people carrying it in the same way that a lot of white people do, it's considered terrorism. It's considered a threat instead of your actual right to, to, to carry a firearm. Right. If, you, if you think of back to, back to uh, when alcohol prohibition you often see uh, white Americans carrying loaded weapons right. in, in public, right. um, even on the doorsteps of, of courts and municipal buildings, what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, and as soon as black America started doing the same thing, which was within their legal rights, uh, you had a governor 
uh, decide, you know what, we can't have it. Right. Ronald Reagan. And, Ronald Reagan. And if you continue to look at Ronald Reagan, you see what Ronald Reagan Absolutely. Is. We do. And I think you mentioned something about him last week. Yes. Uh, even And it, that didn't even involve Reaganomics for right. those that are... Uh, this is before Reaganomics. Way before Reaganomics. So, um, again, moving forward, that great, that gave some more national attention. Um, when people saying, yo, these brothers carry guns <laughs> to what? To the Capitol building? And yeah, if, if you Google pictures of the Black Panthers, that's what you're normally going to see. Them carrying weapons uh, on the doorsteps of, uh, uh, of federal buildings or courthouses or what have you. Um, and you're going to see them. Some of them going to have the, the fist up and others going to have the guns. But that's what you're going to see when you see images of the Black Panthers. And uh, another key thing, and you'll understand why later, is a guy named Eldris Cleaver. Um, he actually was a New York bestseller. Um, for his essays when he was in prison. He put together a book of his essays while he was in, in prison. And he became um, an, an author. And a lot of people, you know, really gravitated towards Elgis Cleaver's writings. And he decided to join the, the Black Panther Party. And a lot of people felt like this was going to be the, the, the one that's going to get them over the hump into an actual respected organization because of his writing ability and with their newspaper his, his ability to be able to speak, a lot of people thought that, you know, Elders Cleaver was going to come in and really take him to the next level. So right after Elders Cleaver joins, Bobby Seals, of course, incarcerated due to the uh, six-month sentence he gets for the Capitol building. That's right. Huey gets locked up on a murder charge, murdering a cop. That's right. So, um, and we'll, we'll get into that a lot. And what takes it to a whole other level is the campaign for free Huey. That's so right. So they come up with... Um, they begin to uh, rally outside of the, the, the prison or the court system, and they begin to chant Free Huey. Um, the song Black is Beautiful, Free Huey, set our warrior free, <laughs> Free Huey. And that gained national attention, not just for African Americans, white people, Koreans, all the different ethnicities came together and was like, wait a minute, we see the flaw that y'all said, y'all talk about in the system now. We all know he can't right. do this. So uh, this puts them on another radar, which is, again, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI, which they right. began to create a task force. Um, and in that task force, they talked about not allowing a black messiah. So when you chant free Huey, it's creating Huey to be this messiah the for the African-Americans. Right. And that's one thing that J. Edgar was not going to allow again. That's why we talked about history. So Malcolm X is assassinated. Dr. King is assassinated. Now they're talking about free Huey. Now we got a problem because now there's another black messiah coming up that we're going to have to deal with. That's right. So looking at that, um, <coughs> Malcolm, Martin Luther King is assassinated right after this. That's right. And a key thing that happens is Eldridge comes up with the idea to go and ambush police officers. And when they go ambush police officers, two officers is wounded, and police comes out and they surround Eldridge and little Bobby Hutton. Little Bobby Hutton, seventeen years old, at um, fifteen, and then he was seventeen at this time. So there, Eldridge tells little Bobby, "Look, take off all, take off your pants and your shirt. Get blood with our hands, with your hands up. hands up. That way, they can't say that you're reaching for a gun." That's right. Well, little Bobby. Didn't like that idea. And he only take off his shirt. And he goes out, hands up, and he is murdered. And 
There's if you actually do your research, there are officers from that precinct that said that yeah, we murdered them. Like, Absolutely. like they, they came out and they said that you know the autopsy showed that he was shot underneath the armpits, that he had his hands, hands up, up while being while being killed. So Eldridge is locked up and then he gets out on bond and he skips the bond and he goes to Algeria in exile. Again, if you don't know what why that's important, um there's not extradition on anybody in America. If America's not allies with them, they're not obligated to arrest somebody in, in other countries and send them back to the United States. So he finds a place where they're not allies with the United States and he stays there in, in exile. So after that happens, again, Huey is, Huey is still locked up. Eldridge is running it, running the, um, the Black Panthers from across the sea and Chapters began to open up everywhere. Everywhere. Chicago, so, Chicago Massachusetts, Massachusetts all Washington, DC, Connecticut, all of these places. And uh, we're gonna get into a little bit more here in a second. We're gonna take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. And we are back. Again, this episode is sponsored by uh Jay's Body Works. Um, if you're looking to get any auto body work, any um any restoration, any repair, or any paint. Go down to Jay's uh, Body Works here in Bedford, Virginia. That number is 434-665-9422 to get all of your auto body needs. And, and moving forward through the chronology, um, for the people who've been seeing the movies come out, the new movie came out, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, talking about Fred Hampton. Um, and again, I shouldn't have to talk about spoiler alerts because we should know Fred Hampton before the movie comes out. We just should be looking at it to make sure they got it correct. That's right. So um, I'm not worried about spoilers because we need to be doing our research to already know who these people are before they make movies about it. And Fred Hampton, what Fred Hampton does, he creates coalitions in Chicago with the Young Lords and the Young Patriots. So this is something that's, that hasn't been done yet. So when you look at the Nation of Islam, they weren't really colliding with white groups or Latino groups. They were more of a, they weren't really in the political field at the time. And then when you look at the civil rights movement, they had people coming into the civil rights, but they weren't really creating coalitions. So whenever you talk about the young lords, uh, the, the Puerto Ricans, and then the young patriots who were just poor white people that came from the South, this was huge, uh, a huge coalition that came because it showed that we're not against white people, we're against oppression. That's right. And he also made an alliance with major Chicago street rent gang. Yeah. Which was, was very important too. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in LA, they made coalitions with the anti-Vietnam, uh, white organizations that, uh, grew there. So you already, you see they're creating, uh, alliances, um, to try to help oppression all over the United States. Um, and then what happens after that, Stokely Carmichael that I told you that they were pretty much influenced by, he becomes the prime minister for the nation of all me for the Black Panther Party. That's right. It was only for five or six months because the, there was a miscommunication somewhere with Bobby being, I mean, with Huey being locked up and with Eldridge or, um, International. But Stokely Carmichael really became uh, a prominent name, especially in the international field as well. So, um, Bobby Seal, gets out, and then Bobby Seale was also charged with a murder, too. 
And then also he's on the Chicago 7, which is at trial. He's actually gay during the trial because he was speaking out about his rights and his glory of not being there. That's right. So again, again, we see Huey locked up. We see Bobby Seale get locked up. We see them going to exile. Then Frank Hampton gets murdered in Chicago during uh, the Chicago 7 trial. So, and then after that, you had the New York 21. Um, they're arrested on bogus charges and not um, and not let out on bonds. Then you have, then Huey gets released. Him and Eldridge began to bump heads and Eldridge on the party's direction. That's right. And then the split occurs really between the East and the West. The East and the West didn't just start with Tupac and Biggie. The East and <laughs> the West started when, you know, Eldridge was taking control of the East and then Huey was taking more control of the Oakland, LA area of, um, of the Black Panther Party. So, real quick, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to go back and fill in those holes, but let's talk about a few key people in the Black Panther Party and why they're significant. Um, number one would be uh, Bobby Rush. You know, he took over the Illinois chapter after Fred Hampton was murdered by police. And it says Rush worked on several nonviolent projects and built support for the Black Panthers in African-American communities, such as coordinating medical clinic, which offered sickle cell anemia testing on unprecedented scale. And if you know anything about uh, politics, Bobby Rush actually ran against Barack Obama in the um, in the Illinois Senate. That's right. And he beat uh, Barack Obama back in 2000 for the Illinois Senate seat. Um, Elaine Brown, you spoke about her earlier. You know, she became um, the first um, woman in the Black Panther Party. She helped found uh, the Free Legal Aid Program and served as an editor for the newspaper. Um, she was elected to the Panther Central Committee. Um, she also recorded music for the Black Panther Party, in which one of her albums was underneath Motown Records. Um, after Seal's departure and Newton's exile, Brown was the chairman of Black Panther in 1974, the only woman to hold the position. In 1977, she managed, um, she managed Lionel Wilson's victorious campaign to become Oakland's first black mayor, in which she actually ran for president in 2008 under um, the, Green the, the Green Party. The Green Party. So, um, again, you see phenomenal things done. And she actually still today is doing more work into the prison reform um, aspect. Uh, you had Angela Davis, and she got really involved into uh, the Black Panther Party, to where she was teaching political um, political education to the Black Panthers. Um, she became known uh, for her uh, involvement with the Soledad prison um, murder. Um, we'll get into that. And then, of course, prison reform, as you prison said. Prison reform. <clears throat> which was huge during that during that time. Also, let me just back up one second. I want you guys to also keep in mind that when you had people like Bob Seeley and, and Huey Newton and even uh, uh, Fred Hampton and their leadership going back and forth to jail and going to court, they were winning these suits. They were winning these, right. these, 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 these trials. And they had black attorneys that were obviously very, very smart. Um, and, it, uh, and it wasn't Johnny Cochran either. So <laughs> the, these, these attorneys were really very intelligent and knew the law. And if you, we go a little, we fast forward a little bit and you get to Asada Shakur. Uh -huh. um, and he'll tell you a little bit about the story behind her. But she went back and forth to court for many years for many different, many different uh, um, New Jersey. And she was winning these, yeah. she, they were winning these trials and then they would refile them again. 
Um, with an aunt as a lawyer. And with an aunt as a lawyer. And and they were winning these trials because they knew the law. At some certain junctures, these people were representing themselves as well. Yes. Attorneys had a difficult time even defending them because they wouldn't shut up. They wanted to talk for yes. themselves and did a very good job at doing so. When you look at Huey in particular, Huey started representing himself as a teenager to where he beat like every case that ever came up against him. And one, he actually just pleaded out to only serve like six months. That's right. But he act, but Huey created, um, he started representing himself because he wanted to, you know, uh, cross examine witnesses the way he wanted to cross examine them, get things thrown out the way he wanted to get thrown out. He, he was very intelligent. That's right. And what he was doing. Um, but when you look at, and again, a lot of times when they're in prison, Bobby, Huey, Asada, um, Fred, they're in solitary confinement. That's right. So, because a lot of times the prison warden knew who they was and they said, listen, we don't want none of that in here. So we're talking able, about the inmates. You ain't going to do nothing but bring all the people together and, and start revolting even in the prison system. So they put Huey um, in solitary confinement for months. And they thought they was going to break him in a few days. And he said, I learned how to train my mind for months in, in, in solitary confinement to the point where he only met with his lawyer. The only time he came out of solitary confinement was to go to a visit to meet with his lawyer. So he really didn't have much of an idea what was going on outside. Um, again, Stokely Carmichael coined the term black, uh, black power. Um, he actually came to prominence um, during MLK's era because he actually tricked MLK to say, Let, let's do this together. And when he got up there, uh, Stokely Carmichael started talking about something totally different than Martin Luther King. And Martin Luther King came back and said, listen, I've been used more than once. So he came, he came to power by really taking on the, the Malcolm thing to the next level as well. Uh, Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton as a, uh, as a 17 year old was leading the NAACP for youth. So he was all, at 17 years old, he was already doing amazing things. Um, until he became a, a Black Panther, he was one of the most important um, in not in the non-aggression pack among Chicago's powerful street gangs, as he said earlier. Um, and of course, uh, creating the coalition with the Young Lords and the Young Patriots called the Rainbow Co Coalition. You know, Hampton rose to 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 huge prominence um, until he was murdered by police. Um, of course, you got Bobby Seal. Bobby Seal eventually runs for mayor. Um, and then you got their programs. And here are a few of the programs that they had. Number one was the main one, which was the free breakfast program. That's right. That fed over 20,000 children in 19 different cities. Uh, I can't tell you how big that is because teachers will tell you that the most important meal of the day is breakfast. This shows how, how, uh, attentive your child is in class. So they realize this is, this is, during the Vietnam War, so soldiers are coming back and they're not having jobs, they're not having access to capital, so right. their kids are starving. And they, they, if you watch the movie Dear Presidents, uh, that that'll give you a little bit more insight into what I'm saying. I can even tell you from experience, we benefited from that program growing up in Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. That same program created by the Black Panthers in the Washington D.C. chapter, uh, as uh, Marion Barry, the mayor of Washington D.C incorporated that in public schools. Mm. So for kids that, uh, and, and it, it wasn't just for families that couldn't afford it. Um, school started so early, 
a lot of the parents were either already gone to work yeah. or had to be to work at the same time the child had to be to school, didn't have time to fix them breakfast. So you would eat breakfast at school. Right. And it, it was for every kid, not just poor kids. So it was a, it was a it was a great program that we actually benefited from. And a lot of people that started out in the party had to get up at four thirty and go prepare his breakfast That's to right. show that you were disciplined enough to still be in the party. And a lot of times it wasn't gender based. You know, women came up with the idea that, hey, y'all cook breakfast, we'll stand outside and, and do security with the guns. That's right. So you began to see a lot, um, but the free breakfast program was one. They had the free health clinic and the clinics, um, were established in 13 different cities. They offer services such as testing for high blood pressure, lead poisoning, tuberculosis, diabetes, cancer detection screening, physical, physical exams, treatment for colds and flu. Um, and, and that's huge too, just to, so everybody would know, in the 50s and 60s and even in the early 70s, a lot of black people died from tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, yeah. So, and again, a lot of women that were helping with that free health clinic, they ended up going into the medical professional field afterwards. So they got a lot of training by being in these programs and able to go on to do greater things. So then you had the Intercommunal Youth Institute in which they uh, had kids into their own school to be able to uh, raise their consciousness. And they were actually awarded in 1977 by the California governor for being uh, for having set the standard for the highest level of elementary education in the state. That's right. So you're talking about major, 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 major programs. They had the senior um, Seniors Against the Fearful Environment Safe Program. And what this did, this offered... Transportation, free transportation for the elderly so they can go cash their social service right. check without being mugged or robbed. They had free ambulance services. And this is if you were sick or you need to go to the hospital, they were, they had a 24 hour call to where the ambulance will come pick you up, take them to the hospital for free. Then you had the free food program. So right. along with the free breakfast program, we got the free food program that gives you groceries for the week. So you ain't got to worry about nothing for the poor families. That's right. So already you see a bunch of amazing programs um, coming cr- out of created by twenty one and twenty two year olds. Twenty one and twenty two year olds that just saw a problem in their community and created a solution. Absolutely. You had free busing to prison programs for the people that were in prison. Look, we got a bus to take you there to go visit people, and the free legal aid programs we talked about with the lawyers. That's right. So the lawyers began to take on a lot of these trumped up charges that came onto the case. Um, and then we can go in, we're going to the 10 point system. Um, I'll read a few of these and I'll let you, I'll let you comment on them. I'm reading from, um, Huey P. Newton, Revolutionary Suicide. Uh, definitely a book to check out if you're interested in what we're talking about. Um, also another book is Asada, uh, the autobiography of Asada Shakur. Um, a lot of my information on this podcast is coming from these two books. Um, so with the Black Panther Party, uh, the 10 point system, it came out of oh, what we want and what we believe. That so was the original. That was the original, original concept. Right. So the, the, what we want, we, uh, number one, we want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. And we believe that black people would not be free until we are able to, de- to determine our destiny. Absolutely. And to, just to put this in quick perspective, we want power to determine the destiny of our black community. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about segregation. Right. And a lot of people think segregation is just when black people live in one area and white people live in another area and they go to different schools. Right. That's not the only form of segregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, another part of segregation is when you have black people live in a predetermined area 
and then they don't control anything in that area. Right. They don't own the houses, they don't own the businesses, and they have no say in the political governmental structure. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're talking about. That's what he's talking about in this. We want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. Clearly perfect. Uh, number two, we want full employment for our people. We believe that the federal government is responsible and obligated to every to give every man employment or guaranteed income. We believe that if the white American businessman will not give full employment, then that means of production should be taken from the businessman and placed in the community so that the people of the community can organize and employ all of his people and give a higher standard of living. Uh, the one word that you got to think about in that number two is full, full, see full employment. We're not talking about part-time versus full-time. You're talking about full employment. What they would do is they would get black people to do the work that the whites didn't really want to do. Right. The degrading jobs, the jobs that they felt that was worth a black man doing it. So that's what they're talking about in fairness of employment, not full-time or part-time. Uh, number three, we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black community. We believe that this racist government has robbed us, and now we are demanding the overdue debt of 40 acres and two mules. 40 acres and two mules were promised 100 years ago at a restitution of slave labor, mass murder of black people. We will accept the payment in currency, which will be distributed to our many communities. And this one is huge. Uh, if you watch Good Times... They talked about a grocery store that was in their community where the meat was more expensive than in the I same store in the that. white community. So that's robbery. Capitalistic robbery right. is what they call it. That's what they're talking about there. Number four, we want decent housing fit for shelter of human beings. We believe that if the white landlords would not give decent housing to our black community, then the housing and the land should be made into cooperatives so that our community with government aid can build and make decent housing for our poor people. Again, last week we talked about Project Housing. Yes. Cabrini Green, an mm -hmm. example. Uh, all the funding went to the, the white housing developments, very little to none to the black. Right. And if you again, if you watch Snowfall, that's something that Franklin and his mother is doing, is they're going around and they're buying up all his property because his mother worked for a white landlord and seeing that he wasn't attempted to fix anything. That's so right. they were beginning to buy their own property to say, hey, look, we'll, you can live here. We'll give you adequate living conditions. That's right. Um, number five, we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of his descendant American society. We want education that teaches our true history, our role in the present day society. That, that's huge because they're telling you in, in 1967, that having black history is important. True black history is important. Education is important. But just to put it in a little more perspective, is when you're in high school, you start in elementary school in some places, um, you start learning about American history. You start learning about history. And it's 99% white history. Right. But even when they're telling you the white side, like when you learned about Ronald Reagan, you learned that he was the president of the United States and he used to be a hacker. Right. right. Nobody knew that he was part of that bill that stopped blacks from carrying weapons openly in public. Right. They don't tell you that. They don't teach you that in school. Mm -hmm. So that's what he's saying. True nature. True. True that, nature that, that's, that's of his word. That's important. Uh, number six, we want all black men to be exempt from military service. And again, this goes back to what Muhammad Ali was saying. And you, you talk about it all the time, fight for a country that won't fight for me. I, I, absolutely. I say that all the time. People used to ask me, you was playing basketball. They say, hey, 
How come you don't stand for the national anthem? And Which is a I, good, I, good point because you were doing that in the two. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would, I would cite Muhammad Ali. You expect me to stand up for a country that won't even stand up for me? It's not going to happen. Yeah, teachers would ask me, you know, why your yeah. dad don't stand for the anthem? Not going to happen. Not even take all my ass for that. Not even, yeah, I wish they would. Because I would talk. Number seven, we want an immediate end to police brutality and the murder of black people. Again, this is that's self-explanatory. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. Now, with this one, you have to understand what they're saying in this is because they believe that a lot of black people were thrown into prison without due process, without the right adequate uh, jury of their peers. Absolutely. Uh, because if you look at a lot of these um, Panthers, a lot of them were on trial. Ashada Shakur, most of her trials, there's only one black person. And a lot of times she got acquitted or it got thrown out because that one black person on the jury said, no, she ain't guilty. Absolutely. And a lot Absolutely. of white people came into it thinking that she was already guilty because they had read about it. Exactly. So understanding that just because you were a Panther, a lot of white people already had it in their mind that you were guilty or that you should be locked up because they considered you a terrorism for what the media had already portrayed you to be. That's right. So with that one, some people say we can't free everybody. They're talking about freeing people that were... Um, Unjustly put into the prison system because they didn't get a fair trial, or or was was con considered political prison. Right. Uh, number nine, we want all black people when brought to trial to be tried in the court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities, as defined by the Constitution of the United States. We just talked about that. Yeah. We talked about that last week. But we're gonna talk about that more again. I want to talk about the the criminal uh, the the court system, especially while this trial is going on um, next week. Good. Good. Um, and number 10, we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. And as our major, as our major political objective, a United States supervised um, to be held throughout the black colony in which black colonial subjects will be allowed to participate for the purpose of determining the will of black people as their national destiny. Again, revolutionary suicide, definitely check out this book. Um, but we can see that their 10-point system is very artic is articulated greatly. Um, it's articulated, articulated greatly, but also, and we'll get into this on the, on, in the end, in the summation of this, this podcast, but what they're saying is very prevalent today. Yeah. And I think, um, obviously talking off air, one of the things I want to talk about in the last, the last part of this podcast is how is this relevant to us today? Right. How does this relate to you in your life today? Right. Because that's important because some of the things that they were dealing with and trying to come up with a solution for is happening today, right now. Right. So we talk about a lot of the, the things that we agree with, um, things that we like. Um, but we come back from the break, we're gonna talk about a lot of problems that, that occurred. <laughs> and we are back. Uh again, follow us on YouTube at the motivate at the Mighty Motivation Network. Um so going back into um the Black Panther Party of Self Defense. The main problem that we see is the leadership. Um, That's right. So, again, when we look at the concept of Bobby, Huey, most of the time they're not on the streets at the same time conducting right. business for the party. One's in jail, right. one's out. And whenever they're incarcerated, they're actually in solitary confinement to a point where they can't have any interaction of what's going on into the world. So, but, so one of the problems is you had, as it grew massively, that's one of the problems, it grew overnight to the point where they weren't checking people on who were 
you you want to be in, all right, we're all black, go to the free breakfast program, cooks, whatever, do it, let's do it. And it grew so much that you had so many leaders that had their own agenda. Um, own agenda is an own demons. Yeah, own agendas, own demons. Um, you're, you're talking about a group of people. You're not talking about, you know, the Dr. Kings that, you know, went to, to school and came up in a church. You're not talking about um, the religious people that follow a certain system. You're talking about people who were educated kids. Educated kids. Educated kids. Um, educated kids and a bunch of thugs. Yeah, you're talking about, you're talking about a lot of, of different things. All under 25 and under. So when you begin to, to look at that aspect, um, you see that communication was a huge part that came with the, the Black Panther Party. And all three leaders were divided, whether you look at Bobby, Huey, and, and Eldridge for, um, for whatever reason. Um, but when you look at the, the trial of Huey, one of the problems that came was Eldridge came out and said in the newspaper during Huey's trial of the murder of a police officer is that it's open season kind of on police officers. That's right. And Huey felt it was disrespectful because it made it look like he was guilty. Absolutely. And that, that's one of the problems that occurred. And, um, it, when, it, it made him look like he was guilty. But as you find out later on in, in studying about Huey, he was guilty of a lot of things. A lot of He things. was guilty of a lot of, uh, uh, violence and murders. Mm-hmm. Um, some he got acquitted for, even though he, there's evidence to support that he did commit those murders. And then there were some murders that took place of not just white people and not just police officers, but killing of other black panthers. Yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, this, this Huey was, he was the epitome of, of violence and, and it really didn't matter who it was against. Right. Um, I think the last person he was accused of killing was a white prostitute. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or just a problem, even though she was white, but she was a, a prostitute. And the person who was going to rat him out ended up attempting to kill him and buried him alive. And the guy survived, paralyzed from the waist down. Right. I mean, demons that came with this leadership. Now, we can talk all day about them still being young. They were young, but obviously they were doing some things that they knew was wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was difficult for them to be a leader doing those type of things. Right. And um, another problem that happens is Huey and Bobby think that Eldridge is getting involved with issues that has nothing to do with what they're trying to do. Okay. He called it ir- irrelevant. Um, Things in other countries. Yes. He's more involved in international uh, issues than he was about uh, things, struggles and frustrations and inequalities and injustice towards blacks. Right. right and again, you have to understand Eldridge is not in America no more. So... Gauging war with police officers, elders ain't even got to be in the middle. That's right. So you, you can see the, the frustration from some of the Panther leaders who were looking at this person making decisions from so far away. Um, Huey also disagreed that um, allowing white radicals to speak for the party. Again, this That's goes right. back to Malcolm. Like, you can help us, you can support us. But you can't lead us. That's right. And, you know, Eldridge was allowing people to speak on behalf of the party who had no idea about, again, the point system that we were talking about when it came to the party. Um, 
after Huey was released from prison, he wanted to really go back into the, the programs. Uh, let's focus on the free breakfast program. Let's focus on the, the health program. Let's focus on what we call intercommunalism. That's right. So let's focus on that. When Elders was more like, no, nah, let's overthrow the government. Let, let's, let's rebel. Let, let's let's, let's right. do a war. Let's, let's do whatever. He, he always started thinking in terms of politics yes. at, 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 at that point. And how can we make real change, okay? Killing police officers, standing off with cops, that's, that's not going to do it. Yeah. Obviously, that's not going to do it. We've gotten enough attention. We've gotten enough followers that now we've, we've built up this, 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 this backing, this support group that we can make real change, but we got to do that in legislation. Right. So now we need more blacks in politics. Uh, and that's what he was leading towards before he was assassinated. Right. And then you have Fred Hampton, who obviously uh, had that same mindset in saying, hey, let's go this route. Let's get more blacks on uh, city council. Let's yes. get more blacks yes. being mayors of major cities. Let's have blacks uh, being in Congress. And, and they did that. Uh, not just black males, but also black females. As we talked earlier about Brown, uh, Elaine Brown. Elaine Brown. Right. Um, this is something that Bobby really pushed. Bobby from the jump was a political advocate. That's right. Um, so I'm from the jump. Um, and then when Huey gets out of prison, um, the free Huey really created him as, as a symbolic figure uh, of, of the Black Panther Party to where he was kind of put above everybody else. That's right. And if you look at how the Black Panther Party was started and what its ideals were, it was power to the people. So the people make the party great, not one person that's being right. above the people. That's right. So that's why Huey from the jump didn't even want anything to really do with being the chairman or certain leadership. He just said, listen, we need people who are going to give, be able to be powerful. That's right. I don't care about being a leader. Even when he was in prison, he was like, listen, don't raise money to get me out. Take the money that you're raising and give it back to the people. That's so right. we all, we see some good ideals from Huey. Um, when it came to that, but it grew frustrating when he got out because whenever he would begin speaking to people, they were listening to him and admiring him, but not listening, not to, listening him to him to figure out what he was saying about the political awareness. Um, and then the, the party that was created in Oakland, um, it changed when you go from state to state because laws change. So there's certain things that you can do in California that they couldn't do in Chicago. That's right. And if you don't create those boundaries, or create those avenues to be able to do one thing to the next, one person or a whole group of a committee, so to speak, to come up with an understanding. There is not going to be any type of structure. That's right. So leadership. 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 So everybody in every city is going to be doing their own separate thing. That's right. Based on what they think the party wants to do. Um, and uh, Asada Shakur actually said, um, "No movement can survive unless it is constantly growing and changing with the times." So again, we see the party kind of was at a standstill because the number one thing you were doing was patrolling the police. And well, now they passed this bill to where you can't do that anymore. That's right. So now what adjustments need to be made in order to grow? And if you don't make these adjustments, your your organization is not going to be complete because the people are going to be thinking one thing and the leadership is going to be thinking another. That's um, right. It's, it's not going to progress. Right. And Asada Shakur also said revolution is not an action. It's a process that changes with time. Absolutely. And See, people think revolution is just a war. Yeah. It's, it's not. So um, when we look at the problems, a lot of the problems came from the the leadership problems. Oh, particularly absolutely. with Huey and Eldridge Cleaver bumping heads. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one thing that ends up happening was the New York 21, they, they get arrested and charged and, and they actually ended up set free. But Huey thought it was a bad look from the get-go. So what he did was, well, there's, there's a few smaller stories that, that happened in between. They happened in between. But at the end of the day, Huey ends up expelling them from the party. And Eldridge and Huey decide to go on a talk show to discuss a rally that's about to happen. And when they get on the talk show, Eldridge doesn't discuss the rally. He talks about how the New York 21 is mad at Huey's leadership. That's right. And Huey gets mad about Disrespect. it. Disrespect. And Huey gets mad about it and, and expose, uh, expel a few other people. And then you have a party split. That's right. So, um, the split happens and everything goes down here from there. Uh, also, while this is going on, just keep in mind while this is going on, there's other black groups being created at the same time that this is going on. Yeah. And one of them is called the Black Gorillas. Yeah, because like we said, if you're not progressing with the time, other people are going to see that and they're going to take what you have. They're going to apply different things to it. And they're going to start their own. Absolutely. And, and, and what happened with Huey is after he was released, a member of this new group called the Black Gorillas felt that a good way to um, have the Black Gorillas become more prominent, more well-known, is he thought that he would kill Huey. Yeah. And there were threats made on Huey. Um, now, Asada seems to think, after reading her book, that the FBI wrote these letters. I, I right. don't know. But one thing that ends up happening is Huey gets, like, security detail. And he's actually living in a, like, $600 um, suite. And the people looked at it was like, this leader is living in a $625 a month suite and people are out here starving. Right. That that goes against the whole ideals of why the party is Absolutely. So dissension, we talked about this before. When you don't have unity, you become vulnerable. Right. And the party started losing that unity mm -hmm. and leadership. And they became vulnerable. Right. Um, and again, when becoming vulnerable, you had people like, if you watch the Black Messiah, Judas and the Black Messiah. You see people like William O'Neill infiltrate um, as an FBI agent. Um, it's, it's speaking of that, how did you feel about him, the actor that played that part, being nominated for uh, <laughs> for an award? For an award. For being great at, for, for being, great at it, being a Judas? Yeah, for being great at being a Judas, but being the Judas and bringing down a, 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 a black leader. Well, number one, he, he did a phenomenal job. Charlemagne don't like him. And yet, Charlemagne actually said he did too well of a job. He, he, he did. But um, <laughs> he definitely deserves a world award as an actor. Now, whether that's symbolic of the world we live in, yeah, it, it is. It, it almost feels it like they gave him an award because you played the role of somebody who did something great. Yeah. And, um, you know, William O'Neill... Um, there was a, a guy by the name of Cotton. He comes from uh, California and goes to lead over in the New York branch. Come to find out he was an FBI agent. There were so many other people. Like, again, there was no screening process. There is no screening process to, to be given in the organization. If you do what you do, you you go up through the ranks. And you, if you're the smarter you are, you're going to go up through the ranks. So you had people going up through the ranks and becoming, because William O'Neill was actually head of security for Fred Hampton, um, 
Because he had access to a vehicle, he had access to guns, he had access to things straight to the FBI that the, the Black Panthers never really looked at. It. But when we, when we see this, we've seen a lot of people infiltrate through the FBI. Yeah, and you are, you know, later on you find out that um, O'Neill said that he really had no he had no ties or commitment to the Black Panthers. Right. And that obviously what happened is he got arrested, I think, for stealing the car. Stealing the car. And as part of his uh, agreement to um, let that charge go away, he agreed to infiltrate the Black Panthers. Right. Um, later on, for those that don't know, he ended up committing suicide. He committed suicide. Um, a lot of people think that Fred Hampton wasn't murdered by the shootings of police. William O'Neill actually drugged him um, earlier that night, and they believed that the drug overdose was, he wasn't going to wake up from that anyway. Yeah, well, you know, the uh, it wasn't his wife, but it was the woman that was pregnant by right, that was right. there. Because obviously while he was out on the drug, um, they got her out because she was pregnant. But she testified later, in, or gave an interview later, that when she tried to wake him up, he did speak. Right. He, he did lift his head and speak, so he was alive. Um, and then when doing the raid, they shot him. They didn't kill him initially. They just shot him. And then they asked, is he dead? And, and the officer him. shot him two times in the head and said, you know, the N-word's dead now. Right. You know, and they drug him out. Right. But obviously, um, that was the whole goal was to kill him. So in my opinion, it doesn't matter whether O'Neill killed him or the cops killed him. It was all orchestrated by the by the cops. And this is why we, we definitely will look at the, the, the court system later because they didn't win criminal charges. They won civil charges. Again, this happens a lot in the black community where oh, we when get criminal it. charges are not win, and the civil charges do win, and you get money instead of actual due process of, of justice. That's right. We and we gonna I'm gonna speak a little bit about that in the, the last part of this okay. when we get to the summation. Um, so again, you get the the one person is above the other people. Of course, you know uh, he would become symbolic. Um, Another problem that I, I just seen from, as I looked at it, nobody said this, but I, I looked at it from this perspective was you had a lot of, you had intellectuals and you had what we consider soldiers. That's right. And I believe that the party didn't specify, they kind of expected you to be both. So you had these soldiers who were really good at enforcing things. You wanted them to be able to be intellectual. Right. So to present to people what it is that they were doing and they couldn't do so. And you wanted these intellectuals to, to die for something, <laughs> suicide cases they were calling That's right. for, and it wasn't going to happen. You had these two barriers that you expected people to do, and it just wasn't going to happen you because just, it was so out of their character. You had your leaders going into these shootouts. You, yeah. had, these, you had these leaders on, on the steps of courthouses with guns. Instead of having your soldiers doing that, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, you. It's almost like having a production-minded uh, employee in an administrative position, right? Um, it, it's not going to work, right? So if you arrest an intellectual for uh, a murder, of course he's going to work with the FBI. That's right. He's an intellectual. He's not a soldier. And if you arrest a soldier, of course he's not going to be able to articulate himself in court. That's so right. We, we, we. They didn't understand that barrier because um, Asada Shakur did say. There was no political um, education to educate people on what they need to do. Most people came into the Black Panther Party because, number one, I get to get a gun. And right. number two, and I, I get, get to stand off against police. Yeah, I, I right. get to wear all black. I get to look the part. I get to wear the afro. I look like somebody. It, it became a, a symbol 
more than actual reading um, what their what their objective. That's was. right. And, and and again, a lot of it we can uh, attribute to one them being young, mm-hmm. two what they were exposed to at that point. Because you got to remember this time this between 17, 21, 22 years old right. in nineteen sixty seven. So they've seen a lot mm-hmm. um, through growing up in the fifties. Right. So they they've endured a lot. They've seen a lot. They've heard a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is what molded them to the individuals they were at that age. So they were doing what they thought at the time made sense. But as they got older and they got to the end before they were murdered, especially Fred Hampton, which is why I think I I now understand why they probably made the movie about him. Because I think at the beginning I told you, I don't know why they made it about him. Why didn't they make it about Huey? But now I know it's because he started moving away from all of that. And moving more into the political side as he got older and got a better understanding of how to make real progress. And and that's actually goes back to you know a thing that we like to say um, that you become more prominent after you're killed. That's um, right. When you look at Fred Hampton, he didn't have a chance to continue over for ten to fifteen more years to see what that's right. mistakes he could have possibly that's made. That's right. So we have to glorify him in a way. And if you look at Huey. We look at the next 10, 15 years of his life, we understand why Huey is not selected. Because exactly. it's hard to, to glorify somebody and follow somebody that years later they didn't live by that. Exactly. So, um, that's another reason why we'll talk about Dr. King on another time. Um, uh, when you look at Tupac and Biggie, you know what I'm saying? You can glorify them as the greatest rappers. But what happens if they was to stay in the game 10, 15 more years? Could they sustain that? Again, that's off topic, but that's a little bit of comparison that when you die, you kind of get the, or you get murdered or killed. Not saying it's a good thing, but as legacy wise, it's able to carry on better because we got a smaller microscope at what to look at. That's right. Um, but if you watch that movie, one of the things that ended up happening when Fred Hampton is killed, there's like seven or eight Panthers living in one place. This happens because J. Edgar Hoover was harassing families and, fa- and people was like, instead of going home, they ain't got to know where we live at. We're going to step away from our family, abandon our family. That's right. Stick to the cause and live together. There was actually songs that came out that said we got to live together in order to grow and unite um, with the Black Panthers. Um, so the organization becomes uh, very vulnerable. And the same thing that made the party great is the same thing that made the party bad. That's right. They were young. Which was a good thing, but they were young, they which were was young. a bad thing. That's right. They were enthusiastic about change, which was a good thing, but being too enthusiastic means you're not using logic and sense, which becomes a bad thing. That's right. You don't continue to um too, to too, too young to have a real strategy. Yeah. And able to to in order to be able to overcome some of the things that they were dealing with too, in the condition. Too young and too quick. Absolutely. When, when you look at Elijah Muhammad with the Nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad was doing things for years That's before right. people actually start catching on to it. That's You're right. talking about almost an over a year sensation for the Black Panther. Absolutely. I think we talked about this before. I had the um, unfortunate opportunity to speak to somebody who had committed a double homicide. Mm-hmm. And when I asked him, I said, you know, what, what made you do it? And he said, you know, I, I had access to the gun. Mm-hmm. Didn't have that time to think about it. You know, he had access to the gun and it happened. You would think that with these young kids, 17 to 21, 22 years old, that if they had more time, that they probably would have moved away a lot sooner from the violence part and got more into the political realm of creating change. Right. And I think that was the biggest thing is a lot of people didn't join the party for the actual political part, they joined the party so they can sell guns. 
Um, That's right. And, and you know, Huey actually said that probably was the best thing that they did was just give anybody guns. Well, you also got to keep in mind that one of the things, how did they make, raise the money to get these guns? Right. So, of course, a lot of the things that they were going to trial for and killing police officers because they robbed banks or whatever. I think one point they robbed a drug dealer. Who knows? But because we don't know how much of that was true. That's right. the story we've been told. But obviously, one of the things that they did is. They sold, they went and bought copies uh, of this book called The Little Red Book. Yeah. And The Little Red Book was basically an outline for warfare mm-hmm. done by, what's the guy's name? He was a Chinese military guy, something to some. Um, yeah, yeah. But they, they got this book, and without even reading it first, they started selling this book on campus, and people were buying it. Yeah. And then they decided to read it, and it became the structure for how they wanted to run the organization to be militant against the cops. Right. And again, that's they looked at other countries to see how they did it and they applied that to America to the point where the biggest downfall for the the Black Panther Party came because they were the number one threat to America. Not the Vietnamese that's right. The Vietnam War, not the KKK, not Germany, not the Italian mob, <laughs> not, not the Russia. Black Panther Party. Number one on the America threat list. So, again, that made Reagan give more power to J. Edgar Hoover, who began to infiltrate the palm the Black Panthers more. So, again, we talked about earlier how a lot of these trials they beat. A lot of it wasn't just to try to get them convicted. It was to arrest them, to separate them from the party. Again, divide and conquer is the number one thing. So again, that's why we talked about Huey, Bobby, Eldridge. All of these people are not on the same page because they're not around each other. That's right. And, and this, so you look at this in, in comparison to Martin Luther King and Mega Edwards. When you have Martin Luther King, civil rights movement, you assassinate him. What happened after that? Right. So you had Mega Edwards. Uh, you know, he, he petitioned uh, the, the 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 Justice Department about segregating schools. Mm-hmm. He's assassinated. What happens after that? So you stop the progression when you take out the heads. Yeah. You take out the leadership. It stops the progression. So that's what they wanted to do with the Black Panthers. So instead of assassinating them initially. Because the same thing happened with Martin Luther King. You try to do it by imprisoning him first. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can put him in jail. Right. And we get him in jail. We put him in solitary so he doesn't have access to anybody. Can't communicate. We can slow down the progression by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they were trying to do. Uh, we'll be right back as we look at a few positives. And we'll, um, we'll come up with our conclusion. And we are back. Again, this episode is sponsored by Jay's Body Works. Um, does your body, does the body of your car need repair, restoration, or paint? For all of your auto body needs, visit Jay's Body Works in Bedford, Virginia. That number is 434-665-9422. And continue on, um, there are a few positives that, that we get from the effect of the Black Panther Party that I want to point out. Um, number one is, for me, when I looked at it was, it's not tied to religion, right. which means there's less division in our objective. That's because, right. again, when you look at the Black Panther Party, Nation of Islam had already started to do something similar to this, but there was not a political stance until um, Louis Farrakhan began to become more political afterwards. But theirs was more of a religious stance. 
At least that's what people assume because right. they because of what they they stood for. Right. That's right. When you look at the civil rights, you know, they of course they were mostly the just Southern Christians um, with the the nonviolent. So by not being tied to religion, anybody can join. That's right. You know, they they got letters from fifteen year old girls said, you know, how can I join? Uh, what religion do I have to be? And when that's not tied to religion, more people want to come in. Um, and that may that may have been a problem too. I, I don't know. Um, that may be a good thing, and it may be a bad thing because you you don't live by a set of principles. Uh, I, I think that's, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. And as you as we discussed, and we didn't go into all the, the graphic details about them, but some of the demons was based on the fact of they had a lack of principles, but different, very right. different principles. Right. And I know for Huey, just reading uh, Huey. Um, he actually wanted to orchestrate it like a church, but not like a church. The one thing that he liked about his church, his father was a, a, a pastor. That's right. Um, one thing he liked about the church was the community coming together and involving themselves in each other's lives. And engagement yeah. and dedication. That's, that's right. right. That's what he wanted to incorporate by the community coming together and involving each other in each other's lives and problems and creating solutions for everybody. That's what it good. Uh, another thing is they... The initial bylaws was drug use is not permitted. That's right. Um, but of course, whenever they, they created coalitions with what we considered the hippies, um, of course, you know, drugs became a problem and it ended up becoming Huey's demise, actually. Um, well, well, again, even, even without the Rainbow Coalition, if you, we talked about this last week, if you put blacks in an area and you, you have poverty, and you have overpopulation and you have no economic or financial development, the one thing that will come to your aid is drugs and gangs. Hey, or yeah. two things that will come to your aid is drugs and gangs. And the third will be anything criminal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another thing that I like is they raise money to uh, bond people out of jail. That's so right. the community can come together and raise money to get a person out of jail. What else can we come together and raise our money together? That's right. Like you said, why? How is this important to me today? You can see a whole community together to bond somebody out, bail them out, out of jail, out of prison. We can come together, put our money together to do what in the community to for the better of our community. That's right. Um, when you look at the programs that they created, we can do all this by putting our money together and creating what we maybe call our own socialism. That's right. In our own community, um, of everybody being equal and sharing out of, of everything. Um, they created international alliances, um, China, Cuba, Korea, Korea. Um, it's a met, it was a message for the dying love for the people, for the people, for the people. That, that is the important thing about the Black Panthers. That's what their initial, um, Initial uh, message was: We want to be for the people, by the people. That's right, and you you got to keep in perspective too. When you say you you see here and say power to the people, right? Power, black power, power to the people, power to the black people. Um, it was not just the power of saying we can stand up to police brutality. Mm-hmm. It was saying that you are empowered as a as a black American, mm-hmm. as, as a black person, you are empowered. You are empowered by one, knowing your history, mm-hmm. and two, learning how to conduct yourself in any type of situation. Right. And that empowerment is something that they wanted black people to have. 
And they were trying to get that to you by one by making you aware. And make you by aware. making you aware. So that's why we know. We know it ain't just black power. We know that black knowledge is power. Absolutely. That's why we continue to talk about in this podcast how knowing your history and educating yourself is the most important thing to creating power structure. That's right. And being, and being able to influence change. Um, another thing that I like is they use the courtroom for a political statement. That's right. Um, they, they, a lot of the people in the media say they use us. They, they use yeah, us. That's right. right. That's right. It, it, instead of talking about certain things, they used it to push their political agenda. Um, and we see that in, in, through the growing movement of it. Um, we just talked about it. They gave black people confidence, um, empowerment, freedom. Gave you know, for pride. Um, gave them pride. Made them feel proud of being black. Yeah, you know, uh, black is beautiful. Um, it, it made people not want to, you know, put a perm in their hair to, to straighten their hair out. It made them look at, not put makeup on to say, yo, I'm black and I, I was born like this and I'm beautiful like That's this. That's right. And, and we still see it today with people going natural because they, in the and, and, it's, and it's still having to justify. Yeah. You know, that's the sad thing is that when people go natural, they have to justify why they're going natural. Mm-hmm. Even celebrities have to justify why they're not wearing makeup and why they have an afro now. And they have to justify even today. Right. We are beautiful just like we are. And the Black Panthers may not have uh, created that because people started wearing dye sheets and started wearing natural before the Black Panthers became relevant. That's right. But they took it to a whole different level. That's right. Um, when we begin to look at, um, they help Black people know what their rights is. So they, they did they did show that and they studied that there were a lot of African Americans that knew what their rights were. And if they didn't know, somebody close to them knew, uh, would tell them what your Absolutely. rights were. So Absolutely. we did see a raise in consciousness. Uh, and we talked about that a little bit last week about knowing what the what the laws are and knowing what your rights are. Um, it gave people a sense of responsibility to their community. That's right. By by doing these programs, people had to be involved into the programs. Um, the people was the only ones that was going to be able to run these programs. Um, so when I look at the positives, that's some things that we could take away. Uh, there's some myths that I want to debunk real quick before I let you... Um, I'll let you do your thing. Uh, number one, the myth is, you know, terrorism, that the Black Panther Party was a terrorist group. I don't believe that their ideology should be considered terrorism. Uh, when we look at terrorism, terrorism is somebody taking a machine gun into a movie theater and shooting it up, and then you give them a bottle of water when they come out. And if he was black, he would be arrested, he would be killed. I'm sorry. That, that is terrorism. Um, that they weren't peaceful. Again, the original name was the Black Panther Party of Self-Defense. Um, they, they, they didn't decide to do harm to anybody until they decided that peace wasn't going to happen in, in that area. Um, and another myth was that they were, a lot of people I heard compared them to the KKK where they didn't like white people. Again, this is why we talk about the coalitions. They, That's right. They, 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 um, they did a lot of work with different white groups. They hated oppression. That's so right. that, that debunks a few myths. Um, and I'll, I'll let you let you talk. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I just felt compelled to do this. You know, I, I don't really pay attention to views, um, podcast views. Um, I usually pay attention to viewer comments and feedback, viewer thoughts, perspective, which is why I always ask you what kind of feedback did you get. Mm-hmm. Um, but not necessarily the number of views. Not until recently. I started looking at the numbers. Somebody can post something right now about a video game, music, a celebrity, or just a quote like, the only person that deserves, 
a special place in your life as someone that never made you feel like you were an option in it. And people will go crazy and view it and post it and repost it and share it and all kinds of things. And the numbers of views will be high. The number of comments will, will will be high too. So I looked at the number of views from my unapologetic perspective and it's gotten over, you know, over five episodes along public comments. Not a whole lot. Now, we got a lot of private comments. We've got a lot of private um, comments. And the question to me is why? And it begs the question why? Um, why are the views for the podcast or the discussion not even comparable to other posts? Um, and it's disproportionate. And you, I asked myself why. Maybe, maybe, maybe they don't like us. But it's not about us. So I don't think that's it. Because it's not about us. So, I, you can exclude that. So I started thinking, maybe it's because people don't know. And I actually have somebody tell me this. How does this relate to me today? Right now, how does any of this apply to me right now? So for the black viewer, if you think injustice, inequality, and unfair, unfair treatment, prejudice practices do not relate to you, Tell us what you do in your everyday life that you don't have to deal with those struggles so we can disseminate that information to the masses so we can all live like you. Because we don't. Because I would love to. I would love to. Now, for those of us that continue to face these struggles and these conditions and bear witness to others facing the same conditions and treatment, here's why we think talking about what happened prior and what happened in the past relates to you today. Let's give you some examples. In 1940, police routinely used violent force against blacks as a means of preserving segregation. Okay? You stay in your area, and we'll do what we need to to have you stay there. Go home, back to your community. Things like that is what you often heard. And at some point, blacks said, you know what, we we can't stand for that. Because, one, it's not right. Mm-hmm. So remember how law enforcement treated Black Lives, Black Lives Matter protesters in, let's say, 2012-2013. Trayvon Martin yes. was murdered. And again, when George Zimmerman was acquitted, that doesn't relate to you. For those that don't know how the past applies to you today, that didn't relate to you at all. What about 2014 Ferguson uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, when Officer Darren Wilson killed Michael Brown? While he had his hands up, law enforcement used force against the protesters when they were protesting the fact that he was murdered. And then he wasn't even in charge. He wasn't even charged. That doesn't bother you. For those that want to know how this relates to you today, that doesn't bother you. I mean, I would find it hard to believe that doesn't bother you. 2014, Eric Garner. For those that may not remember, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I can't tell you I remember all the names. I don't. Um, was killed when an officer administered a prohibited chokehold. Can you not relate to that? Although it was clearly shown on the video footage, the grand jury did not even indict the officer. George Floyd, trial going on right now. All circumstances surrounding his murder, you see it. You see it on the video. You see it going on in the trial right now today. That doesn't bother you. 2019, Elijah McCain was killed in Colorado by the police, being sedated by paramedics. Even after investigators proved the police and the paramedics 
acted inappropriately. Even after they said that even posed for photographs afterwards, nobody's charged. Nobody's charged. That doesn't that doesn't boil your skin. That doesn't get your blood boiling to the point that you feel obligated to do something. At least listen to what's going on. Have a discussion. So, and, and the list goes on. Um, Breonna Taylor, yes, 2020, was murdered whilst asleep in her apartment by police rendering a no-knock warrant. That doesn't upset you. The only officer found guilty was found guilty because his stray bullet went into an apartment of someone else. He's the only officer that was found guilty. That doesn't bother you. 2014, Tamir Rice, 12 years old, killed in Cleveland, Ohio, by an officer because he had a toy gun. The officer claims that when he arrived, he told Rice numerous times to drop his weapon. And he did not. He shot him. However, when you go back and watch the video footage and listen to the audio, he never says a word. He pulls up and immediately opens fire on a 12-year-old who had a gun, a toy gun, that has an orange part in the middle of the barrel. Clearly a toy. Kill. Guess what? No charges. That doesn't piss you off. Excuse my language. That doesn't piss you off. Andre Hill. I'm just going to name a few. Andre Hill. Stephen Clark. Oscar Grant. Sandra Blaine. Philando Casca. Tony McDad. Ahmaud Arbery. Rashard Brooks. Antoine Rose. Sean Bell. I'm just, just, just naming a few. If you want to look at history, Fred Hampton was murdered in his own apartment in his bed. Just like Breonna Taylor. Do you want to know how history plays a part? I'm not even talking about history seems to come back around. I'm just telling you another stop. (laughs) It's still happening. So Fred Hampton, 21, murdered. Bobby Hutton, 17, murdered. Mm -hmm. Surrendering him with his hands up. Mark Clark, 22, which was the guy who was sitting in the chair when when Fred Hampton was murdered. Mm -hmm. Bungie Carter's. John Huggins, I think you mentioned him. Emmett Till, for those that remember, we're not talking about Black Panthers, but he was murdered. Emmett Till, somebody Trayvon Martin. Exactly. I'm going to give you one more. George Steiny Jr. Killed in electric chair in 1944 at the age of 14. He was accused of and convicted of killing two white girls. Mm -hmm. After his arrest, his parents had no contact with him. His father lost his job, um, and the house they were living in belonged to the company that he worked for. So he lost that home. This kid, 14 years old, was executed 81 days after he was arrested. Right. 81 days, 14 years old. Just recently, they found out that he did not commit the crime. They went back and researched did the investigation, did the forensics, and found out he did not he did not kill these two girls. Yeah. That doesn't bother you. Right. So for the people that say the things that you guys are talking about is it's great, but how does it apply to me? 
If this doesn't tell you how it applies to you, then I can't. There's nothing I can tell you. Yeah. All I can tell you is continue to watch people that post things about music. Continue to watch the dance videos on uh, what is it, M- Memphis something where the, the juke, Memphis juking, where they got the guys dancing. Continue to watch that. Continue to do your posts um, on giving people advice on their uh, marital and relationship issues. Continue to do that. Right. For the people that understand that this is something that's been going on and has not changed and will not change until you decide to make a difference, then I want you to continue to watch mm-hmm. and comment. Let us know your thoughts. Please, I'm asking you. Let us know your thoughts. Hey, I'll go off there real quick. Um, everybody knows me. I'm a motivational speaker here in, in Bedford, Virginia. Motivational speaker, mentor. I work with black kids. I work with white kids. Mostly, I, mostly I have a great um, relationship with white people. Most of my support comes from white people. And starting this podcast was it was boiling inside of me, but I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I didn't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. But just what you said, who am I to talk about feeling uncomfortable for people who've been comfortable? Forever. Exactly. The one person that should feel uncomfortable is me. That's which right. we have ever since we've arrived in this country. That's right. So these conversations, it's not to 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 create racism. Racism is already there. Already there. We're talking about it. These conversations have to be had, and I hope white people listen to it and be able to have these conversations amongst themselves to understand what we're talking about. And this is just not black people knowing their history. White people have to know real history themselves. That's right. Because everything that we've talked about, this is why I bring up the chronology of things. Because a lot of white people have no idea how black people have been put into these certain positions to be in oppression. That's right. So until we have these conversations, honest conversations, honest research, researching the researcher, going back and looking at the people who uh, who created certain things to look at their background, when people laugh at cancel culture, no. The cancel culture, people are realizing that, no, we should not be listening to these things. We should not be talking about these things. We don't want our kids to be exposed to these things because it's not right. Absolutely. These conversations have to be had because a lot of people are not having them. And as a motivational speaker, I've been given, I've been given, uh, I give, you know, motivational messages. I post positive things on, on Facebook. A lot of people like it. They love it. They, they tell me how motivational I am. But what does motivation get us if we cannot have a real conversation? That's right. What does motivation give us if, if, if the black kid and the white kid and their parents are still not, not, um, knowledgeable about what's going on in the world? Because we can't move forward until we deal with the past. And a lot of times when it comes to America, America is built on blood. And one thing America continues to do and continues to build on top of a bad foundation. Without going back and looking at what's underneath the foundation. Because a lot of times when you go back and look at what's underneath the foundation, you will find African Americans that's been whipped, killed, oppressed, thrown in prison, thrown in segregation for the benefit of white America. That's right. So we have to begin to have these conversations. And black people, you should be the most people that be going back and looking at history to stop accepting whatever people that, that whatever people tell you. That's right. So when I talk about um, Judas and the Black Messiah, the reason why I said it shouldn't be a spoiler alert is because you should already know. Should already know. I should, there should I shouldn't have to tell you this. Now I understand there's new education to be learned, but after watching that movie, how many people actually went back and researched it? 
Oh, how many people just thought it was entertaining? Right. How many people knew it was true? Exactly. Because when I looked at that movie, I said, this is 95% true. That's right. But you again, you have to go back and you do your research. You have to go back and you have to look at things as, as, as it correlates. And the more you dig into the past, the more you again, like he said, you will see the present. And the more we understand that we need to address this now before it continues in the future. Because I have a, I have a daughter that is mixed. So one thing I have to tell my daughter, she doesn't like when I talk about some of these things, but I said, listen, you're mixed. Most people think that you're black. So you will be treated like a black person. Absolutely. So you have to understand both sides of where you come from. Because there are a lot of people out there who do not understand why we're having these conversations. It's not to create a more division. Because the more we ignore it, the more division happens. Absolutely. So we're addressing these things because people need to be consciously aware. And again, this podcast is not going to be 100% correct. I, I can handle somebody disagreeing with me. I can handle somebody giving me that point of their point of view because I don't know everything from every angle. So until you have these conversations, black people going back and looking at your history, until you have these conversations, black people going back and researching people who gave you the information and you see things from a different point of view, you will understand. And I'll end it with this. This is really why I wanted to do the Black Panthers. Because a lot of people see the Black Panthers as being in a hate group. But what the Black Panthers did was made white people put the shoe on the other foot. That's right. So they seen as police officers being harassed. They seen it as white America being oppressed by black people. And it just shows you, says, now you know what we feel like. That's right. That's all. That's when you look at the totality of it. When you look at some of the murders that happened, some of the police killings, you look at some of the things, they call it retribution. That's right. They call it eye for an eye. That's right. So the reason why you hate it so much when we bring up the Black Panthers is because now you know what it feels like to be black every day in America. That's right. Now so, you're uncomfortable. Yeah, now you're uncomfortable. So that is why we're having these conversations. We're not, I didn't do this episode to glorify the Black Panthers. Again, I, we went through a lot of the negatives. But I wanted you to see what their mindset was. Because you have to understand why they were doing what they were doing. This is not similar to the KKK. The KKK was just to hate black people. This group was going to protect black people. That's right. Now where it went from there, we yes, went through yes, That's right. But when you look at history, you look at the mind of a black person, the same thing we're doing now. We just want you to be aware of what's going on. Thank everybody for tuning in. We love everybody out there, but we got to have these conversations. Please comment on what you think, what you, what your perspective is. Listen, we, we wait. <laughs> we can talk about it. We're, we're, we're not here to, to bash anybody. But the conversation's got to be had. Absolutely. Love y'all.